soldier for Christ. I'm a soldier for Christ. I'm a soldier. No, they'll never take us under because we're bringing truth like thunder. Raining on your speakers like a ton of bricks. Hold the cross high because we're Catholics. Fight the good fight with the truth. Stand tall with the truth. I'm a warrior for Christ. I'm in love with the truth. Love God. Save souls. Slay error. Go stronger. Welcome to the Terry and Jesse Show. Jesse's out today, but I have a very, very special guest. This is a special edition of the Terry and Jesse Show. As you can see, if you're watching on YouTube, Bishop Joseph Strickland, the Bishop of Tyler, Texas. Welcome to the show, Bishop Strickland. Thank you, Terry. Thank you for coming. And today's show, we're going to talk about the Holy Eucharist. The Catholic Church and the Catechism of the Catholic Church talks about the Eucharist as the source and summit of the Christian life. And what I've been asking the bishop to do is teach us fundamental teachings about the Eucharist because I watched a survey from Pew Research last summer that pointed out that Catholics don't know about the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. Now, I'm 63 years old. For 41 years, I've been traveling around the country. I talk to people about the Blessed Sacrament and about the Mass, and nine people out of ten, nine people out of ten, can't tell and articulate what the real presence is and about the Mass. And so we got a problem. And so I've been trying to teach people the fundamentals of the church. But here we have a bishop. And if you look at your catechism, a bishop teaches, governs, and sanctifies. So he's perfect to teach us this teaching on the real presence. Bishop Strickland, are you as concerned as I am about the lack of not just reverence, that's a big issue, but understanding of what we have in the Blessed Sacrament? Absolutely. Uh, really, Terry, I believe it is the issue of our generation. Mm. Um, as we were talking before we got on the, on the program, um, in our lifetime, in 60 years plus, we lost it. We lost the teaching. Thankfully, um, as you mentioned, as a teenager, uh, both of us appreciated having the Blessed Sacrament. And, and I remember as a, a kid, you know, in high school and even junior high would sometimes in between sports practices or after I got off my part-time job, I would just go to the church. Nobody told me to, but I had an understanding, a basic understanding, no deep theology, but I knew that Christ was there in the tabernacle, in the church. And I really see that as the beginnings of my priestly vocation, when I just would go and spend time in prayer without even knowing that I was supposed to, or that it was, it just, I was drawn there. Um, <clears throat> and I was drawn there by a person. I think that that's one of the key elements that we, uh, we need to really focus on. Um, the bishops, as you probably remember, back just over a year ago, in January of 2019, in the midst of all the commotion about the abuse crisis and all at that time, um, we had a retreat of all the United States bishops. All were urged to be there by Pope Francis. And we were blessed with Father Cantola Mesa, the Vatican um, preacher, basically preaches retreats for the Vatican staff and for the Holy Father. 
He's he's worked with John Paul II and with Pope Benedict and now with Pope Francis. A wonderful preacher, a wonderful holy man. And something that Father Cantilo Mesa spoke about, I, I think it's it's not directly said in the catechism, but it's certainly, in my experience, I talked to a number of the bishops who heard Father Cantilo Mesa. He said, and he's talking to about over 200 bishops from the United States there at Mundelein Seminary and outside Chicago. And he said, is Jesus Christ a person or a personality in your life? And to me, Terry, I think that is very Eucharistic because a personality is someone like, you know, there are a lot of famous people I've never met and I haven't met many famous people, but you know, um, we, we're all aware of whether it's a sports figure or a movie star or a politician, people that are known around the world, they're always on video, they're a personality, but they're not really a person. And a person is someone that we really know that we have a, a relationship with and that it gets much more intimate. And I think Father Cantilla Mesa really touched on to me, I would describe as the issue in Catholicism that in our lifetime, for over 60 years, we failed to make Jesus a person in people's lives, and he's just a personality. And if it's just a personality, it's like it's several steps removed from being a real person that we've interacted with. Um, even as we're, we're doing this broadcast that is a radio broadcast, ultimately, we're using Skype to, to um, record this. Um, I think there's, even as we, you know, we've never met personally. We've talked to each other via media a couple of times. But even that allows us to get to know each other in a deeper level than if we had never communicated directly to each other. And I think that's a key point. If someone's a personality in your life, you likely have seldom, if ever, actually exchanged two words with each other. I mean, you know, just to pull somebody out of the air um, Cardinal Sarah, that I admire greatly. I've read his books. I've I've come to know a little bit of his story, um, but he would probably be more in the category of personality than person in my life. I'd love for him to to have. I'd love to have that personal relationship with him. But we're limited in in human circumstances of how many people we can actually have a personal relationship with. What Jesus Christ has done through the Eucharist, he's made it possible for every human being, and that's who he's here for, every human being, to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Through his Eucharistic presence, he's really there. Um, and Terry, I, I'm in a diocese of... <clears throat> 
we're, we're, we've grown a lot in 33 years as a diocese. We're probably averaging 7 to 8% Catholic. There are many non-Catholics, good Christian people, living their baptism, but baptism's all they have as far as sacrament. Um, and they are probably better Christians, a lot of them, than I am, but they don't have all the riches, and they don't have that Eucharistic presence. And they speak of, Terry, you probably are familiar with this, but around here, you start talking Jesus, and people will ask you, have you taken Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? And sadly, I mean, I even have members of my own family that have left the Catholic Church because they found that personal relationship with Jesus in another community. And that is, it's great that they found a deeper relationship with Christ, but it is tragic. It is tragic that we as Catholics don't understand more clearly, absolutely, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is what it's all about. And he's there in the tabernacle. He's someone that, that actually doesn't just feed you, he gives you himself as the food. In I spoke about that in, on, um, it wasn't Corpus Christi, I kind of got ahead of myself. We just, of course, just celebrated Corpus Christi. But when Christ spoke of being just in a, a few gospels a few Sundays ago, he said, I am the gate. I spoke about that in Eucharistic terms because if you look at the gospel closely, he doesn't say, I'm the gate that you go through. I'm the doorway, which he, those are images as well. But he says, I am the gate. And what I think that Eucharistically reminds us of is that he is the path. He is the way. He is physically the door that we walk through to know the Father and the Spirit and the Son more deeply, to develop that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So when we view the Eucharist as just a personality, as sort of a, a distant idea, we're missing the point. It needs to be someone that we talk with, that we laugh with, that we cry with, that when we pray, we're really speaking to a person, and we know him. Bishop Strickland, we're going to take a quick break, but I, you're, <laughs> you're resonating with me because Dr. Scott Hahn, who I uh, introduced to the Catholic faith when I recorded his conversion story 31 years ago, said exactly what you just said. At my personal relationship, is so personal, I take his body, blood, soul, and divinity every day at daily Mass. Now, there's something I want to bring up to you that uh, the church in 1965 came out with a document, Pope Paul VI, who's a saint now, called Mysterium Fide. And it's a short document, but it teaches exactly what you just taught us about the Holy Eucharist. And Paul VI did it during the Second Vatican Council. From what I was told after the break, I'll give you the reason the Pope did that. But Bishop Strickland is here teaching us about the very same thing. We call it the perennial teachings of the Catholic Church, and we love it here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. We come back, we'll continue with Bishop Strickland, the Bishop of Tyler, Texas, uh, teaching us about Jesus and the Eucharist. Don't turn that dial. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. Jesse's out of town, but my good friend now, Bishop Strickland, the Bishop of Tyler, Texas, is giving us a teaching on Jesus in the Eucharist as Jesus being a real person in the Blessed Sacrament. I was mentioning Pope Paul VI, who's a saint now, Bishop Strickland. He wrote this document, as you know, during the Second Vatican Council called Mysterium Fide, the Mystery of Faith, and he makes it very clear about what we believe about the real presence. So I would recommend our listeners to pick that up off the Internet and read it because what was happening is there were some teachings that were going on that weren't real clear about uh, the transubstantiation. There was that, that the bread and wine are not bread and wine. It's under the appearance of bread and wine. And Paul VI made it very clear that any other teaching is not acceptable uh, other than what the perennial teachings are on the Eucharist. And I believe that that did help us because one of the things I talk about is the growth of Eucharistic adoration chapels. In my own lifetime, I've been involved with starting perpetual adoration with different priests and I see that the fruit of it is outstanding. Vocations to the priesthood come from young men visiting Jesus in the Eucharist. So, Bishop Strickland, I'm going to turn it right back over to you. You were sharing with us that it's really Jesus, a person who we receive in the Holy Eucharist. Continue, please. Absolutely, Terry. Um, I wanted to uh, touch on that document that you just spoke of, <laughs> Mysterium Fidei, the mystery of faith. And I think these are, are little things that we need to help the the Catholic people. And and honestly, Terry, these are things that have, have continued to develop in my life because I knew the real presence was real uh, the way I was taught when I made my first communion. But as far as really going deeply into that, you know, I was a kid who attended CCD class like everybody else. I didn't have the opportunity to go to a Catholic school. And sadly, even in these years, in the past 60 years or so, Catholic schools haven't done much uh, as far as really teaching people what the sacraments are, and especially the Eucharist. Amen. Uh, and Mysterium Fide, the mystery of faith, listen to the Mass. And, and honestly, this is something that I've continued to discover more deeply, even as a priest and bishop. Because if you notice in the present Roman Missal that was revised by uh, when, when Pope Benedict was uh, the Pope back around 2010, somewhere in there, it was revised. And there was a lot of controversy. You probably remember some of that. People didn't like certain words and, oh, it's too formal and all of this. Yeah. I think it was a great step in the right direction because it reminds us that the Mass is and should be unlike anything else we do anywhere else in any other way. It's unique and it's not meant to be like sitting in your living room or going to get pizza or any of that. And honestly, the way I grew up, it was more emphasized, oh, this is just a gathering of God's people, and this is wonderful. And it's, you know, um, it's a unique doorway into the life of heaven, the heavenly liturgy that is constantly being celebrated. It's like we pull back the curtain for those few moments 
of the mass. And what I want to specifically talk about, and hopefully this will, it helped me, and I share it because hopefully it will help someone who's listening that is really wanting to understand more deeply and get a better understanding of what happens at the Mass and enter more uh, a deeper relationship with Jesus who becomes present there on that altar. During the Mass, when now the priest, it was when I was first ordained, the deacon would say, let us proclaim the mystery of faith. Either chant that or would just say it, you know, out loud. Um, and then we would say, and, and one um, that was very pro- popular was, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. And if you notice, that one's not there in the new Roman Missal or the revised Roman Missal. Um, that's not there. It's not, and people said, oh, that was my favorite. Why'd they take that out? (laughs) Because it's bad theology. At that moment, when we say, when the, now the priest or the bishop says, let us proclaim the mystery of faith. Even in English, it's, we have to really focus because the way we say that is like, let us proclaim. Well, that means we're supposed to just, announce something. What that is saying in the liturgy is let us rejoice in the mystery of faith. What is what is talking about is Jesus himself, who has just arrived on the altar in the form of, the consecration has just happened. And if you listen to um the, the three that are available now, it's like we're speaking to him. The one on the altar is being spoken to. And that is very different. Absolutely. Let me, let me just pick up my missile, right? And, and let me take your time, quote the, the three to you and listen to the difference. For those who just tuned in, you're listening to the Terry and Jesse show. Bishop Strickland, Bishop of Tyler, Texas, is with us doing a special teaching on the Holy Eucharist, the source and summit of the Christian life. Why are we doing this? Because we want to inspire you to fall deeper in love with Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. Okay, here I am. So here it is right out of the Missal. Mm -hmm. The mystery of faith. And we we just say the mystery of faith. And that's even better. I hadn't even recognized that's better than let us proclaim. It's just saying, he is the mystery of faith. Amen. So the priest says the mystery of faith and the people will respond. And listen, the first one, the first option, we proclaim your death, O Lord, and profess your resurrection until you come again. We're speaking to the Lord on the altar. Beautiful. The, the second option, when we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim your death, O Lord, until you come again. Again, we're speaking to Christ. Mm-hmm. He's there. He still looks like bread and wine, but he is body and blood, soul and divinity, really present in the mystery of the Eucharist, in the mystery of the Holy Spirit. 
The third one, save us, Savior of the world, for by your cross and resurrection, you have set us free. In all three of them, we're speaking directly to the Lord who is there. And that needs to be emphasized. That's why they eliminated Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. Certainly it's true. Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. But the way that's phrased, it's like, well, where is he? Christ over there somewhere, Christ way out in the universe. When those others emphasize, and I'd encourage people to really pray that and listen to that. And as a priest, I really have learned I don't, I mean, and it, it says in the missile, and these are the kind of details that we need to, to pay attention to because they can teach us what it says in the, the rubrics, the, the special rules that are here for the priest. The priest says the mystery of faith and the people continue acclaiming. So I've learned as a priest presiding I don't say that. I let the people say it, and I look at Jesus, because it helps me to look at the consecrated bread and wine, to actually look at the host, and know they're speaking of him that I'm looking at, and I listen to them instead of getting caught up in a response myself. I listen to them talking, because that's one of the blessings of being a priest I'm closer to him than anyone. Amen. I'm the one who, and that, talk about humbling. <laughs> if you really develop your Eucharistic theology, as a priest, I'm standing there, and it's through my words, my accent, a little bit mixed with East Texas and a few other things, <laughs> but it's through my breath, my words, that and if you notice, hopefully a lot of people do notice this. It's it's Christ speaking. Take this, all of you, and eat of it. The priest is is literally in persona Christi capitis in that moment, in the in the person of Christ the head. That's what that means in persona. Christi Capitis, in, in the person of Christ the head, that you are, I mean, talk about humbling. It's humbling enough to receive him. But imagine using his words for the consecration, for that transubstantiation moment where bread becomes his body, where wine becomes his blood. And that's why, I mean, really, Terry, I pray yeah. constantly that I can be more reverent and more Christ-focused when I celebrate Mass. Because, I mean, what a privilege, what a humbling blessing to be standing there using His words to do His work. Bishop Strickland, I know there are young men listening to this show right now, and they're going, sign me up. I want to ask a question. If they want to become a priest in your diocese of Tyler, Texas, where can they get information for vocations to the... 
Well, I would recommend going to stphilipinstitute.org, S-T-P-H-I-L-I-P-I-N-S-T-I-T-U-T-E.org, stphilipinstitute.org. That way they can communicate directly with me or with anyone else to ask questions. They can look at the resources there. They can get in touch with the diocese and we have a wonderful um, Father Joshua Nye is our vocation director. Um, I have to say, Terry, that one of the hopeful things in my experience, some of the finest priests that I know are vocation directors. Um, They are the recruiting arm of the church. They're helping young men that may reach out and say, I think I may be called to the priesthood. Um, As I talk to our seminarians, we're blessed with um, 16 seminarians at this point, and uh, we could use more, but we're blessed with 16. Um, And I always appreciate those men. And what I would tell any young man listening or any woman or man that's listening that wants to promote patients, um, that encourage them to simply think about it, to think about the possibility. And even a moment of... Bishop Strickland, I'm going to pause you. we got to take a quick break and we'll finish on the other side. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Today, and I've got Bishop Strickland. He's the Bishop of Tyler, Texas, speaking about the Holy Eucharist, the source and summit of the Christian life. Before we got interrupted at the break, the Bishop was talking about vocations to the priesthood and giving an informational address or how to contact him directly if you're a young man thinking maybe God's calling you to the priesthood after what Bishop Bishop Strickland just said about the beauty of the mass I I could imagine people or young men are thinking that way Bishop Strickland continue you had to be interrupted by the break but you were talking about how they can contact you directly if they were thinking about becoming a priest yes absolutely Um, and also, besides the stphilipinstitute.org, maybe it's easy to remember bishopstrickland.com. That's my own website. They can contact me there. And let me say that we are, the church is a universal community, a universal family. Um, and if, if there's a young man out there in California or New York or wherever that happens to be listening, I'll help them get in touch with someone in their area. Great. I mean, they, they want to come to Tyler, great, but a lot of people don't even know where Tyler, Texas <laughs> is. But I am, and I always encourage uh, this with the, the young men that I encounter. Um, yes, we need priests, but I'm sure they need priests where you are. And God is calling young men to be priests around the world and in all the different families. Uh, a lot of times, in my experience, very often when it, when a man finally um, gives in, in a sense, and enters the seminary, they're, they're a bit older, and I'll talk to them, and they said, well, I thought about this earlier, but then I kind of put it on the back burner, or I, I got, you know, 
really uh, into more serious dating and thought I was going to get married and those kind of things. And that marriage is wonderful. Let me say that, that, uh, I mean, it's a little off topic, but while we talk about vocations, um, for, I just met with a, a young man last week, thankfully, that's interested in possibly going to the seminary. And he said, Bishop, what are you looking for as far as qualities for men that would make good priests? And I always say men that make good priests would make good husbands yeah. and fathers because they they need to be men that have deep faith, that are always ready, ready to grow more deeply in that faith, that are humble, that are ready to work, ready to serve. And I think that describes a husband, a father, a priest. And really, um, I think especially since this during this whole COVID problem, um, a lot of the priests that I've talked to have recognized that we are married men. We're married to the community of the church. And I can speak for myself, and I know other priests that I've talked to, real priests, we're not bachelors. We're not just kind of hanging out. We're not just, oh, well, I'm, I'm, I have no wife, I have no kids, so I'm free, you know, free as a bird. I could do whatever. We should be and are committed to a family. And and that's all tied together with what we do, what, what I was just talking about, that's so inspiring to me. And it sounds like it was a little inspiring to you since you asked about vocations. To say those words and to really believe, yep. that's a very special calling. Yeah, there's sacrifices. I mean, as a man, you've had to make sacrifices to live Christ in your life. Husbands, fathers, even single men, you know. If you're really living the way of Jesus Christ, sure, life's about sacrifices. What is Christ? What is the Eucharist except the sacrifice of the Son of God? And that's what we're celebrating. So I think as I kind of segue off the whole topic of vocations yeah. and get back more, because there's so much to say about oh, yeah. the Eucharist. Um, but the the reality is in order to really be fed by him, we have to live a life of sacrifice, because that's what happens on that Eucharistic altar. It's not just a memory, it is all over again. And that, you know, a lot of uh, the non-Catholics in our area will say, oh, I, I just disagree with you Catholics, and you, you're constantly re-sacrificing Christ, you're crucifying him all over again. That, that, and I understand the mystery of what we're doing. It's a different way of thinking than most things are. But the real presence, making Christ really present again in his loving sacrifice, is not repeating anything. It's, it's reminding us that God is timeless. In the timeless God, through the mystery of his love, entered our time and place. Yes, Jesus of Nazareth, who was spat upon by the crowds and humiliated by Pilate and scourged and dragged that cross through Jerusalem, all of that happened in a real moment in time, in a real space. I've had the blessing of walking the way of the cross there in Jerusalem. He walked on, he put his foot on real stones there that may very well still be there. He fell at least three times. I mean, the tradition says three times. He probably fell many more times. Maybe 
the three worst falls were recorded. We, but we know of three times he fell with that cross. That happened at a real moment. We could go back to the nanosecond of the third time that Christ fell with the cross, the blood that spattered on those sifts. And I think part of making the Eucharist the real presence, Jesus present in the Eucharist, more real for us, is making him more real in every moment of every gospel story. And that's what I've been blessed with in my prayer in in a lifetime of, of learning to pray more and more deeply. I mean, I'm a bishop, and I've been a bishop for seven and a half years. In many ways, Terry, I feel like I'm just getting a good start <laughs> on prayer. Um, and that that's, to me, a very positive sign, because how can you ever know a person, any person? I mean, that's the beauty of marriage, to get into another sacrament briefly. Uh, a man and a woman in marriage are meant to have that, you know, if, if a, and I've said this in marriage formation classes that we've had, if your spouse is just a personality, that's not marriage, and it ain't going to last. Uh, and sadly, that's how some people enter into marriage. Your spouse, that for the man, that woman that you're married to, needs to be a, a flesh and blood person that you know everything about them and you want to know even more. Um, that's what marriage is. And that's the intimate relationship that priests are called to with Jesus Christ. Um, a, a book that is very Eucharistic that I would imagine you may have heard of, it's called Insinu Yesu. Have you heard of that yes. book? Yes, I have. It, it has been transformational yes. in my life as a priest oh, yeah. because it speaks very intimately. And it, the whole purpose of the book, written by a Benedictine monk, which I love that. It's not <laughs> even, it doesn't even have a name of an author because it, it really is, I believe, the Lord speaking to his priest through this Benedictine monk to remind us of the intimate relationship that we're called to have as priest. If a young man out there or not so young man is considering priesthood, if you're feeling that intimate relationship with Christ, that deep calling that's hard to put into words, I'd urge you to, to pray about it and consider it. Contact me, contact a priest, contact someone to, because sometimes, as you know, Terry, um, Sometimes things become a little more real for us when we talk to somebody about it. Absolutely. When we talk to another person. Certainly, as I said, you can go to a tabernacle or even better, Christ in adoration. If you know an adoration chapel, anyone out there that is considering priesthood, any man that's considering priesthood, go to a, a, a church. Even better, go to an adoration chapel chapel and ask Christ, ask him, Lord, are you calling me to priesthood? Now, I have to say, I've never heard uh, an audible response in my prayer. I do feel I've heard the Lord speak, but I've never, what they call the, the fancy word is an allocution. Um, uh, saints and the Lord speaks to people. Um, He's spoken to me in my heart, but I've never 
heard a voice. I've never seen an apparition. Most of us, uh, the beautiful part in the gospel that, that reflects that, blessed are those who have not seen but have believed. I haven't seen an apparition. I haven't seen a Eucharistic miracle, but I believe. And certainly the stories of the Eucharistic miracles help me to believe even more deeply. But what I'm saying is Jesus is really there. The person, Jesus of Nazareth, who was nailed to a cross, who had a crown of thorns on his head. I encourage people every time they read a gospel passage to imagine what did Christ look like at that moment? What was he wearing? Was he sweating? Was he cold? He, every human reality he experienced except sin. And I think that's something Eucharistic that we need to, to point out to people as well. <clears throat> and I mentioned this in a priest retreat that I gave one time that we are, we're all familiar with. He is like us in all things but sin. And, and honestly, I've for years just focused on, oh, yeah, well, he didn't sin and he's perfect. So he doesn't really know what it's <laughs> like to be human because he's, he's he didn't sin. But then by the grace of God, I focused on the other part of that that says he's like us in all things but sin. So in all things, he's been hungry. He's been tired. He's been bored. He's been frustrated. He, everything short of sin, the Son of God experienced in his 33 years in this world. Wow. Bishop Strickland, we're going to take one last break before we go. I want to ask, encourage people, ask Jesus Christ for more faith every day and your faith will grow. You're listening to the Terry and Jesse Show with Bishop Strickland talking on the Holy Eucharist. When we come back, we'll have our final segment to help you fall deeper in love with Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. Don't turn that dial. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Thank you very much for joining us. We have the last segment on the Holy Eucharist with Bishop Strickland from Tyler, Texas. I just want to recommend also this teaching by the bishop is just outstanding. I love this listening. I feel like I'm I'm getting go to go to school here on uh, from personal experience of the Holy Eucharist. I love it. But I want to also recommend people to look at your Catechism of the Catholic Church. Paragraph 1322 is where it starts on the sacrament of the Eucharist. And maybe take some time and read that. There's tie-ins with Scripture in there. But it really gives us high information in regards to the Holy Eucharist because we think about this, our best defense against spiritual warfare is the knowledge and love of Jesus. So I, that's why I think it's so important that Bishop Strickland is teaching us solid teachings on our belief in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. So Bishop Strickland, please, I'm, I'm all ears. What's, what's next here? <laughs> well, um, what I really would like to talk about now, Terry, Good. is the word Eucharist. Okay. I would imagine most of us know that it comes from a Greek term, and it basically means Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. And it, there are a lot of things that I, I'd like to talk about there because, for one thing, um, as Catholics, we have a 2,000-year heritage of tremendous 
thought, tremendous faith, tremendous development of that faith mm. that inspired by Scripture and supported by Scripture. I mean, there's everything in the Eucharist is right there in the gospel and in the writings of Paul. Um, you know, so any question about, well, where did the Catholics come up with this? It's all in Scripture. It's in the fathers of the church. Um, and the word Eucharist I want to focus on because it means Thanksgiving. And as Catholics, we have a lot of terminology. I mean, you could almost come up with a, a Catholic language. And if you weren't Catholic, you'd say, I don't understand anything you're saying. I mean, the Eucharist is about transubstantiation and the, you know, I mean, it's like, oh, what kind of words are you throwing at me here? Um, but I think we need to really zero in on why is the body and blood of Christ, body and blood, soul and divinity, what this bread and wine becomes, why is it called Eucharistein, Eucharist? Because we're giving thanks for him. And, and I think that's what, what we need to emphasize, even as Catholics. We're giving thanks for Jesus. Um, here, like I said, in this thankfully very Christian area of East Texas, um, not very Catholic, but very Christian, there are a lot of people who know Jesus and are devoted to Jesus. And the more we as Catholics can live and share what we know to be true, that the Jesus they love really comes to us on the Eucharistic altar, on the Thanksgiving altar. What's the Thanksgiving about? It's Thanksgiving that he was conceived in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Thanksgiving that he was born in Bethlehem. Thanksgiving that he grew as a child. Thanksgiving that he was found in the temple at 12 years old. Thanksgiving for the whole Christ event. And especially in a very deep way, Thanksgiving that he suffered, died, and rose for us. So absolutely, we encounter Christ. It's all about Thanksgiving. It's all about Eucharist. But I think sometimes the terminology gets in the way. It's all about thanks for Jesus. I mean, that's what what we focus on in, in Eucharistic theology. Bishop Strickland, you talked about the early church. I have a little booklet I put out called Basic Apologetics years ago, and it quotes some of the fathers of the church. I just want to say, quote one, one father of the church, St. Ignatius of Antioch, a disciple, a contemporary of Apostle John wrote in around 110 A.D. concerning what well, I called certain heretics. He said they abstain from the Eucharist in prayer because they do not confess that the Eucharist is the flesh of our Savior Jesus Christ, flesh which suffered for our sins, which the Father in his goodness raised up again. In another letter, St. Ignatius writes, I desire the bread of God, which is the flesh of Jesus Christ, and for the drink I desire his blood, which is love incorruptible. Here's the point. There's all kinds of fathers of the church that teach what we believe 2,000 years later. So there's a real consistency uh, in our belief. You mentioned Eucharistic miracles. Joan Carroll from, from Tan Books wrote a book on Eucharistic miracles. Bob and Penny Lord put a good book out on Eucharistic miracles. These are all books and teachings that help us 
understand the real presence. Now, Bishop Strickland, as the bishop of your diocese, I want to direct people back to your diocese because you have a teaching program there that I think is par excellence because I've looked around, and I want you to at least take a minute where people can actually uh, learn more about their faith right online. You have access to uh, classes and shows that people can learn the faith. Could you share that with us, please? Absolutely. Well, the the St. Philip Institute um, is founded in order to, it's the St. Philip Institute of Catechesis and Evangelization. Mm -hmm. And it's all about teaching the faith, because I recognized as bishop and having grown up in this area, many people have not been taught the faith. And as you mentioned, one of my, the key offices of my work as a bishop is to teach, yes. teach, govern, and sanctify. Um, and teaching is critical. And uh, so that's what the St. Philip Institute exists for. You can go to stphilipinstitute.org, the website. There are all kinds of teaching materials. And it references the, uh, the Constitution on Teaching that we wrote. And I say we because I had some great collaborators. I, I don't do anything by myself as a bishop because I'm not that smart. I, I rely on a lot of other people. Thankfully, I, I do have a strong prayer life and I, I get the inspiration, but other people help to develop it. And that's what happened with the Teaching Constitution. And it, it really has been a roadmap for the St. Philip Institute that really is, it's um, three years old right now. It's just turned three. <laughs> and I like to think of the Institute like a three-year-old person, um, just starting to, to walk pretty good, kind of running, running amok sometimes, just like any three-year-old, you let them go and they may get in trouble. But uh, <laughs> it's... Um, you know, it, it really is all about, we have some great people that have joined us in the Institute, and it's about, if you want to know more about the Catholic faith, I would encourage you to go to stphilipinstitute.org, and it, you can interact with that website, and if you have questions, say, well, I was looking for this answer, and y'all haven't taken care of this question. The The team on the Institute staff is always looking for new ways to teach. And as you know, Terry, I know that you are aware there we're just desperately in need of oh, yeah. teaching Oh yeah, across the board in this country and really around the world. We're blessed to be here in the United States. I believe the greatest nation that has ever existed, but we're, we're in danger of losing it because people haven't been taught. People haven't been taught the faith. People haven't been taught the constitution of our nation. And it's all one truth. Um, I think that's important to emphasize. And it's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One Lord is Jesus. He takes us to the Father and helps us to live in his spirit. One God and three persons. It's all. It all keeps pointing us back to the same core truth. And that's why the Eucharist is so important. Jesus, body and blood, because truth eternal is literally feeding us and coming into our bodies as food to transform us. Um, one of the church fathers says that unique with the Eucharist is when when we eat, you know, and probably I remember as a kid seeing this, 
you know, you are what you eat. And, yep. you know, uh, we we assimilate the food, you know, you eat a watermelon, you assimilate that into a, your body. You don't become a watermelon. But with the Eucharist, we eat the body and blood, soul and divinity of God's divine son, and we share in his life. We're, we're called to become part of him. That's what we speak of and St. Paul speaks of us being the body of Christ. We're meant to be incorporated into him through eating his body and drinking his blood. That's different than what happens in normal human consumption. We're usually we eat the food and it becomes part of us. We eat the Lord and we become part of him. And the more we live that daily food, the more we become part of him. And that's what the saints are. They're people that became part of the body of Christ, literally. Wow. Bishop Strickland, you know, the Catechism calls the Eucharist, what I said at the beginning of the show, the source and summit of the Christian life. Would you lead us in a prayer asking your, the blessing of Almighty God that we might have a greater love for Jesus in the Eucharist, that we may have a greater love for Jesus in receiving Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. Could you do that for us, please? Absolutely. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Almighty God, we thank you. We give Eucharistin thanksgiving for the gift of your Son, his body and blood, soul and divinity, in the Eucharist, in the sacrament of the altar of sacrifice of love, that is the Holy Mass. We give thanks for the opportunity to grow in our Catholic faith. And we ask your blessing for everyone listening that we might recognize the Lord of the universe, the Son of God, Jesus of Nazareth is really present in the form of consecrated bread and wine. May we live this joyfully and share this truth with others and be transformed in our own lives to be configured more and more to Christ, to be more and more a part of his body and blood, to live his truth and to joyfully flourish in this world as we seek everlasting life in the next. We ask your blessing for Terry and his radio program and for all listening. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Bishop Strickland, thank you so much for joining us. I'm going to put you on the hot seat. What state should we be living in, Bishop Strickland? The state of grace. He knew it! <laughs> And the state, don't live in the state of mortal sin. If you, if even for a second, get the confession. I want to thank all of you who support us here at Virgin Most Powerful. Don't forget, life is short, <laughs> eternity is forever. And let's make sure that we make those visits to the Blessed Sacrament. Tell Jesus how much we love him. May God richly bless you and your family. And thanks for supporting us in all the years here at Virgin Most Powerful. God bless you and hope to see you again with us. God love you.